0: We are honored this morning to have with us um, Mika Cohen. Uh, Mika serves as, as an evangelist with the Chicago branch of Jews for Jesus. And we'll be presenting Christ in the Passover um, with us today. There's also going to be an offering held during the middle of the presentation. So um, just be prepared for that. Mika, if you want to come up, I will go ahead and pray and um, turn it over to you then. God, right now I pray for Mika. I pray that you would give him the words this morning. God, I pray that um, as he talks about Christ in the Passover, we would get a, a new sense of who you are and who you are to us, Father. And um, God, thank you for Mika and the ministry that he does. Just bless him in that. Your name, amen. Shalom. That was terrible. Come on. Shalom. All right. Who knows what shalom means? Peace. Yep. Hi, how are you? Goodbye, I'll see you later. And some people wonder if we Jews know if we're coming or going because of that. But this morning we're going to talk about the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, who's of course Jesus, the Messiah. And I'm going to share a presentation called Christ in the Passover. So if you were to ask a little Jewish boy or girl who is the hero of Passover, they'd tell you Moses, right? And that's true, but it's not the whole truth. See, if you were to ask a little Jewish boy or girl who knows the Messiah that same question, who is the hero of Passover, they might tell you Jesus. But maybe you're thinking, what does Jesus have to do at Passover? Passover's Jewish, right? Well, so is Jesus, Right? And not only did he celebrate the Passover every year while he dwelt with us here on the earth, but I really think that he's clearly pictured in all the symbols of Passover and in the story of Passover itself. Because the story of Passover is the story of how God delivered us out of bondage. And the message of Passover is the promise of God's great redemption. So this morning, as we take a look at this traditional Passover meal, it's my hope, if you look closely, that you're going to see pictured here a lot more than just a meal. I think if you look, you're going to see pictured here Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. So let's read first from Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 7 through verse 13. Luke 22, starting in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you, Carrying a pitcher of water, follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they departed and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the passover. So, passover starts an eight-day holiday called the feast of unleavened bread. And during this time, we eat nothing that contains any leaven or any yeast. Why no leaven? In the Bible it usually represents something. Anybody know? Sin, right? And so at passover we take the leaven out of our homes. As a way of saying we want to break with the sin cycle in our own lives for this eight-day holiday. And that's why in the more orthodox Jewish homes, for up to six weeks beforehand, the house has a huge spring cleaning. And the woman in the house takes out all the bread, the cookies, the cereal, the leaven, anything with any leaven in it at all. But did you notice Jesus sent two men to prepare the Passover? I think he sent two men, because in Judaism, only men had ceremonial standing, even when it comes to that kind of preparation. So maybe that means the man should be doing the cleaning for the six weeks beforehand. I don't know. (laughs) But thankfully, our rabbis give us a little way out. They ask mom to hide a few crumbs of leaven somewhere in the house, and it's up to the father to find them. So the night before Passover, he comes home, and he takes up some strange-looking cleaning tools. They include a napkin, a wooden spoon, and a feather. And he goes to what he called Betty Kott Humitz, or the search for the leaven. So where could the leaven be? Anywhere. He looks up in the attic and down in the basement and in all the cracks of the couch. And then he sees it's right there on the kitchen windowsill where Mom put it the year before. And the year before that. So, when he finds the crumbs, he sweeps them into the spoon with the feather. Really heavy house cleaning, right? But because the crumbs represent sin, he's not allowed to touch them. So, he wraps them up in a white cloth, and there's bonfires burning down at the local synagogues out in the courtyards, and all the men throw their bundles in the flames. And they go back home and proudly proclaim I've now purged my home of all leaven. But just to be sure we didn't miss a crumb. There's a disclaimer prayer: May all manner of leaven which I have neither seen nor moved be considered null and void in the dust of the earth. Amen. So now the house is really spotless and cleansed, and you're ready to start what is called the Passover Seder. Have you guys heard that word before? Seder. If a Jewish family invites you for the, to their house for Passover dinner, they say, "Come to our Seder," and the word Seder literally means order. And as you have the order of service, at Passover, we read through this book called the Haggadah, which means the telling. And as we retell it, we retell the story of redemption. And to warn you, reading through it usually takes about four hours from start to finish. So this morning, we're going to get out of here at around... um, Well, one of the reasons it takes so long is that you read through this huge book, and there's a big meal right in the middle... And instead, when you came in, you got one of the shrunken Haggadahs in your bulletin. So please open that up right now. And you'll look inside, you'll see there's two sets of four that we're going to talk about. There's four symbolic cups that we drink from. And there's four questions that we ask and answer to tell the story of redemption. But the whole first night of Passover starts with the lighting of the candles. And this is the honor of the woman of the house... So my wife, Leah, is going to come up and light the candles and say a prayer. And those of us who know the Messiah, we think it's real fitting that a woman would light these lights because it paints a picture for us of how the Messiah, the light of the world, came to us not by the will of a man, but by the seed of a woman and by the power of God's Spirit. As the prophet said, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, the light to light the nations and the glory of my people Israel. So we mentioned there's four cups that we drink from. The first cup is called the Kiddush cup, or the cup of sanctification. Then it's the cup of plagues. And then the third cup, the cup of redemption, is the focal point for the whole first night of Passover. We'll get to that later. Then it's the cup of hallel, or the cup of praise. But it's with the first cup, the kiddish cup, that the head of the house has a blessing similar to what his wife just said. Amen," <speaking in Hebrew> which means, "Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, king of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine." And then it's the honor of the youngest child of the family to read the four questions. And I was wondering, is there anybody in here between the age of 10 and 12 who would be brave enough to come read the first question? What's your name right there in the front? Austin, Austin, give him a hand. Come on up, Austin. All right. Thank you. All right. So the first question, let's see, goes right there, goes to right there. Oh, you don't speak Hebrew? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll do the Hebrew. I'll have you do the English. All right. Manish Tana Halala mikol hallelujah. In the English, right there. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all nights, we eat loved and unloved bread. Why on this night do we eat only unloved bread? All right. Thank you, Austin. Thank you. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Thank you so much. Why is this night different from all the other nights? The first half of that question is the biggest question for the whole first night of Passover. What makes this night different? Why is it different? And those of us who know the story respond, It's different because of what the Lord did for me. When he redeemed our family out of slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So redemption is really the heart of Passover. And it comes up over and over again. But at Passover, we talk about more than just God's message of redemption. We talk about his means of redemption as well. The death of Passover lambs. And our ancestors were instructed to take a one-year-old spotless lamb, to roast it whole without breaking any of its bones, and to apply its blood to the doorposts of their homes. First to the top post, then to the two side posts. So in the angel of death, saw the blood on those doors, death was forced to pass over. That's where you get the name, Passover, or in Hebrew, Pesach, the holiday that commemorates death passing over because of the blood, the blood of a lamb, a spotless lamb. What a mighty act of redemption, right? But what a picture of an even greater act of redemption yet to come. For just as none of those first lambs' bones were broken in their death, so none of Jesus' bones were broken in his death. And just as our ancestors had to apply in faith the blood of the lambs to the doors of their homes, so do we each have to apply in faith the blood of the Messiah to the doors of our hearts. And the second half of the question was, why this night do we eat only unleavened bread? And we answer that our ancestors, in their haste to leave Egypt, had to take their bread with them while it was still flat. And this pouch is called the matzotash or the matzah pouch. And inside it, there's three layers of the unleavened bread, the matzah. And each of the layers inside is separated by, from each other by some cloth. And on the first night, the head of the house goes past the first layer, and takes out the middle layer of the bread and breaks it in half, puts one part down, gives the other part a special name. It's called the afikomen. Could you say that with me? Afikomen. Good. That's not Hebrew, though. It's a Greek word that means that which comes later. And that's exactly what happens. We don't eat it yet, but it's wrapped up in a white cloth, and all the kids of the family at home close their eyes while dad hides it somewhere. So if you're in this room between the age of 6 and 10, please stand up right where you are. Anybody between 6 and 10, stand up right where you are. Or 6 and 12, stand up right where you are. And face the back of the room. Turn around, face the back of the room. Close your eyes really tightly. And we're going to hide the off comb. And Parents, make sure the kids are, have their eyes closed. All right. Okay, you can turn around. And when we say three, when I say three, here's what you're going to do. You're going to sit down. One, two, three. Because we're not allowed to look for the afikomen off, until after dinner. And we'll get to the dinner part in a little while. All right? The next two questions that the child asks are, Why this night do we eat bitter herbs and why do we dip twice? And this answers those questions. It's called the Seder plate. And despite its appearance, it's not used for deviled eggs. Um, But each of the compartments has a symbolic piece of food, and they all help tell the story of redemption. The first item on the plate is called carpus, or greens. And it's either parsley or lettuce. And the greens represent life. But before we eat them, we'll dip them into salt water that represents tears. And this is to show us that a life without redemption, as life for our ancestors was when they were slaves, is definitely immersed in tears. Then we have either an onion or a horseradish root. And this is here to show us that not only the surface of life is bitter, but the very root of life is definitely bitter before God redeems us. And then we have the good stuff. Freshly ground up horseradish. And everyone's supposed to have about a tablespoon of horseradish at Passover. Any volunteers? (laughs) Do you know what happens if you have that much horseradish? (laughs) You cry. Absolutely. But we're supposed to cry at Passover and shed tears in the remembrance of the harsh toil of our ancestors. But following the bitter comes the sweet. And this is called cheroset. And it's chopped up apples that are left out to turn brown. And these remind us of the bricks and the mortar that we used to make for Pharaoh. And sometimes people will add honey or raisins or cinnamon, anything to make it taste really good. So people always ask, why would you use such a sweet tasting mixture to remind you of that bitter labor? And the rabbis tell us even the bitterest of labor is sweetened with the promise of God's redemption. This is not an Easter egg. It's called the Chagiga. And that was the name given to the daily temple sacrifices in Jerusalem. But does anyone remember what year the last temple was destroyed over there? Yes, 70 A.D. So from 70 A.D. till today, there's been no sacrifice. Instead, we roast an egg to turn it brown, the same color as a burnt sacrifice, and we slice it up, and everyone takes their slice, and before we eat it, we dip it into salt water, that represents what? Tears, right? And we shed tears over the destruction of the temple and lack of sacrifice available today. And the last item on the plate is probably the strangest. It's called the Zeroa. It's the shank bone of a lamb. And today, in the most orthodox Jewish homes, no lamb is served at Passover Because like the other sacrifices, they had to be killed on the altar in Jerusalem. So again, from 70 AD till today, no lamb has been served. And instead, this bone is again a reminder. So these last two items, the egg and the bone, pose a huge question for my Jewish people. With no temple, no altar, no sacrifice, how is redemption possible? Because the law of Moses told us very clearly, I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. first the blood by means of the life that brings atonement for sins. But without those sacrifices, without those lambs of God, how is it possible for any of us to be redeemed? But I think you guys all know another Jewish man named Yochanan. You know him better as John. John the Baptist. And when he first saw Jesus, do you remember what he said? Right. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's how we can be redeemed, not by killing lamb after lamb, but by the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus. The fourth question that the child asks at home is, why this night do we all recline? And there's pillows on the chairs, and everyone at the house leans on each other for a little while. So right where you are, please lean to the left on the person right next to you and get all comfy cozy with them. All right? Good job. All right. Here's why we do that. Back in the day, when we were slaves, we didn't have time to relax at dinner. But now that God has bought us out of that, now that he's redeemed us, we can now relax and recline and praise him for that great redemption. So those are the four questions. The second cup that we drink from is called the cup of plagues. Sounds really nice, doesn't it? Um, In Judaism, a full cup represents complete joy. And because we don't want to show complete joy over the fact that plagues were poured out on others, in order to diminish this cup, we take out ten drops and put them onto our plate or onto our napkin as we name all ten of the plagues. And then we'll go ahead and drink this cup. And there's an important lesson to be learned in this cup. Ten times Pharaoh heard exactly what God wanted him to do, but ten times he said, no, I refuse, I will not. And as a result, death and destruction came not only into his own country, but into his own home. And he lost his firstborn son as a result. And how many times do we know exactly what God wants us to do, but we say, no, I refuse, I will not. I'm definitely guilty of that. So there's a little piece of Jewish wisdom. If God is telling us to do something, we should do it, right? Absolutely. But Passover is a night of rejoicing, a night of thanksgiving, and a night to praise God. And I can praise God not only that God redeemed my family from slavery and bondage from Pharaoh, but that my, me and almost everyone in my family have been redeemed from slavery and bondage to sin and death through Jesus, the Passover lamb. And it's right now, after the second cup, that we would be sharing a huge meal together, a very high-carb meal. You've got to love it. Anybody heard of matzah ball soup before? If you take matzah, grind it up, make it into little dumplings, and it's floating in something called Jewish penicillin. What's that? Chicken soup. Exactly. Cures everything. Um, And there's something called gefelte fish, where if you take a white fish and put it in a blender, make it into little patties, and to make it taste better, you add lots of horseradish. We want to cry even at dinner, you know? But instead of having that meal with you guys right now, I want to take a few minutes to talk about what's going on with the work of Jews for Jesus. So please turn to the fourth flap of your flyer and start bending it back and forth on the perforated line. But don't tear it yet, because we're going to participate in an ancient Jews for Jesus tradition called the tearing of the flap on the count of three. All right? And I'll give you the count in Hebrew. Here we go not bad not bad and if you'll put the large section down and start filling out the small card in a little while we'll take an offering for the work of Jews for Jesus when we do please drop in the little card and we'll send you guys our free monthly newsletter so you get update about our work and if you want to get updates from our family and our work in Chicago put your email on there too so one way you can be involved with our work is by praying. Another way you can be involved is by giving. And there's a line on here that says, I'm a believer in Jesus and contributing blank for the evangelistic work of Jews for Jesus. If you want to give, write the amount on the line there so you can send a receipt. If you want to make a check, just make it to Jews for Jesus. That's fine. And there's two types of people, though, who should not give to the work. First of all, we're over and above ministry which means we think your tithes and offerings should go to your home church first. So pray about giving over and above. See what God would have you do. But secondly, if you do not yet believe Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he died for your sins and came back from the dead, please don't give anything because we know God does have a free gift for you first, eternal life through him. But if you would like to give, that's great, between you and God. The third way you can be involved is we have some resources on the back and a table that can help you to, sh- to know how to share the gospel with your Jewish friends or family members. And we have lots of gospel tracts. We call them broadsides, and they have strange titles like Beware of Religious Fanatics, Handing Out Pamphlets. And um, we go out, when we go out in Chicago or anywhere else we go, we'll wear bright T-shirts that say Jews for Jesus on them. We'll hand out the tra- these tracts, And anybody that we meet will ask them, who do you think Jesus is? And it's amazing to see some people will have conversations on the street about where they're at spiritually. And if we meet someone from a Jewish background, we'll challenge them to come sit down with us later at a coffee shop, at their home. And we'll show them that the Old Testament points to Jesus everywhere and that the New Testament is a really Jewish book they've been missing out on. And most Jewish people haven't even touched the New Testament, let alone read, read it through to investigate the evidence. So especially if you guys have Jewish friends or family members, we'd love to talk with you at the table at the back and give you some of the free materials, and there's also some not-so-free materials, too. If you want to get more more details about the presentation given here today, there's a book called Christ and the Passover that gives way more of an in-depth outline, that I could give you here in 45 minutes right now if you want more background information. But especially, please be praying if you guys have those Jewish friends or family members that God would open their heart to be willing to hear the gospel and that you be bold enough to talk to them too. I know some people would say, now Mika, I don't want to go there, I don't want to offend people, you know. But here's the deal. Either Jesus was who he claimed to be, the way, the truth, the life No one comes to the Father but through him, or it was all a total scam, and we should all quit church and go home right now. And I think it's absolutely true. He is the Messiah for the Jewish people and the whole world, and it's only through him we can have our sins forgiven. So be bold in telling everybody that you can about Jesus. And Passover starts March 29th, coming up very soon, so this is a good time to talk to your Jewish friends and family members about Jesus. And to let you know about an outreach we have going on right now, um, we have an outreach going on called Behold Your God Israel. What what we're doing is every spring and every fall, we have two to four-week mission trips to Israel to 12 different regions. Um, The first one was in Tel Aviv, and the last one will eventually way down the line be in Jerusalem. And the next one's about to start in a few weeks from now. And so far, out of the first four campaigns... About 5,000 Jewish people have given their contact information over there to want to hear more about Jesus. So the Jewish people in Israel are way more open to the gospel than the people here in the U.S. We just did an outreach in Phoenix for a couple weeks, and out of that campaign, about 20 gave their contact information. So you can tell they're way more open over there, so please pray especially for that work and the next campaign that's starting this spring. And if you'll grab the small card again, we'll go ahead in a minute and just take the offering. So again, whether or not you give though, please do drop this in so we can send you guys our free monthly newsletter. So let's go ahead and pray for that now and then we'll do the last two cups after that. Dinner was good, right? After dinner, it's time for the third cup, the cup of redemption, the focal point for the whole first night of Passover. But... Before we can drink this cup, earlier, something was broken and buried, and now has to be brought back. Anybody remember what it was? The matzah. Right. The afikomen. So all you guys that were standing up before, please come right down here. And there's a couple rules before we get started. The first rule is no pushing or shoving or kicking or biting or eating each other. (laughs) The second rule is the person that finds it does get a prize. On your mark, get set, go. All right. What's your name? Titus. Titus has found the offy and good job, Titus. And the person that finds it does get a prize. But do you remember the horseradish? <laughs> <laughs> That's not the prize. Come talk to me afterwards at the table. I have something for you. All right? Give him a hand. And thank you guys all very much. Good job, guys. The Afi Komen has been returned. And the head of the house takes it out. And he breaks off a little piece and passes it around. And everyone at all these Jewish homes on that first night take a little piece of the Afi Komen together. With the third cup, the cup of redemption. Does this look familiar? It should. This is the origin of our communion service. And let me show you how these two items so beautifully point to Jesus. First of all, the bread, matzah, is leavenless, the symbol of a sinless nature. Just as we know Jesus did not have any sin in him. And over the years, the rabbis have put down really specific regulations for the making of the matzah if it's to be considered kosher or clean for Passover. The first is that the matzah has to have stripes on it if we're to be allowed to eat it. We know that the prophet said by the Messiah's stripes we would be healed and that Jesus did have 39 stripes on his back. In addition to that, to keep it from rising the rabbis say, the matzah must be pierced through. And we know the prophets again said that the Messiah would be pierced through for our transgressions as Jesus was. But in addition to the bread, do you remember the pouch where the bread came from? The matzah Inside it were the three layers of the unleavened bread. The middle layer was brought into view, broken, buried, and then brought Back, while the other two remain hidden and forgotten about. And our rabbis go back and forth about the meaning of this mysterious three in one. Some say what you have pictured here are the three patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if that were the case, why would the middle layer be broken, buried, and brought back? Others say what you have are the three divisions of worship in the ancient temple, the priests, the Levites, and all the rest of Israel. But again, if that were the case, why would that middle layer be broken, buried, and brought back? It's really not known. And because this part of the ceremony was introduced in the first century AD, I think there's another explanation that's clearly designed into the matzatash itself. For although it does form a unity, it forms a tri-unity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he came unto his own, but his own would not receive him. But to those who did, he gave the power to become sons of God. So I hope you'll join in agreeing with me what really is pictured here is one God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So why then is that middle layer broken, buried, and brought back? Right, because Jesus was broken, buried, miraculously raised back from the dead, proving God had accepted his death on our behalf as the final sacrifice we all need to have our sins atoned for, to be made right with God. And that was the bread. And the fruit of the vine at Passover is always red, our rabbis tell us, to remind us of the precious blood of those first Passover lambs. Their blood that was shed to redeem us from slavery and bondage to Pharaoh. And we can remember, of course, the precious blood of another Passover lamb. His blood was shed to redeem us from slavery and bondage to sin and death. And it was this cup. The cup taken after dinner, there with his disciples in that upper room, that Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you, forming a new covenant. The very new covenant promised by God through the prophet Jeremiah when he said, I will remember your sins no more. And Jesus said, drink this in remembrance of me. And he took the bread and broke it and passed it around and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And by God's grace, we still do this today. The fourth cup that we drink from is called the cup of Hallel, or the cup of praise. And I think you guys all know a Hebrew word with the same root as Hallel, although I'm not sure everybody knows it's Hebrew. Anybody have a guess? Right, hallelujah. And we say that three times at Passover, so let's do that right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Which just means praise ye the Lord, and as we read through, or as we drink the cup of Hallel, it's tradition to read through what are called the Hallel Psalms, and we have one of those written on the third flap of the Haggadah. So please turn there to Psalm one eighteen. I'll read the bold, and we'll all read the italics together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. The Lord is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And there's actually one last cup that nobody drinks from. And it's called the cup of Elijah. And there's a whole place setting that is left open at the table for that prophet. And on the first night, the youngest child of the family goes to the front door and opens it up. And if you were to walk outside in a Jewish neighborhood and look up and down the streets, all the doors are wide open. And they're all waiting to see if Elijah is going to come in and join us for dinner. So why would Elijah come for dinner? Well, the prophet Malachi says when the Messiah comes, he's going to be forerun by Elijah the prophet. And we spoke before about what John the Baptist said about Jesus. But what Jesus said about John the Baptist was that he, if you choose to accept it, was Elijah the prophet who was to come. So the prophet today is not going to come into dinner saying the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Because guess what? Messiah has already come 2,000 years ago. And his name is Jesus. So again, with Passover starting on the 29th, coming very soon, be bold, talking to any Jewish friends or family members that you know. Ask them, do they know about the Lamb of God, Jesus? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for sending us your Messiah and letting him die for our sins, come back from the dead. Please draw many more Jewish people and many other people to come believe in you quickly and use those people, all of us in this room, to tell many people about you. In Jesus' name.